Hi, this is Dalip Singh. Welcome to this edition of State of Economy podcast on defense. For the first time, we have decided to host a startup for our podcast after engaging big players of the military sector in previous episodes to understand what self-reliance in defense sector means to a new kid on the block. It is important to get a first-hand perspective of a young mind that innovates and offers smart disruptive technology for the armed forces that has changed the grammar of war derivables and narratives precisely for that we have as our guest dr v shivaraman a co-founder of one of the fastest growing chennai based startup big bang boom solutions private limited shivaraman holds one of the youngest phd's in nanotechnology in the country that i think should be enough to describe his academic profile similarly his 5 year old startup big bang boom solutions private limited has already supplied anti drone systems situational awareness solutions and high expansion fire fighting foam to the tri services and many more deals are in the work in the process the startup has earned recognition as well as accolades welcome to the podcast dr shivaraman please take us briefly uh, through your foray into the defense sector and their journey so far uh thank you dalip ji uh we started we at big bang home started started the company around 5 years back and primarily wanting to focus on creating indigenous intellectual property in india uh we were one of the first uh, companies to join the idex platform uh the mod's flagship innovation platform where there is more focus on ip creation and technology ownership than on joint manufacturing or joint ventures that has been the history of india in defense technology in the last uh, 70 years or so so we started off 5 years ago and we started off with two major projects that we were interested in one was a see through armor and upgrade a situational awareness upgrade to armored vehicles and second was the anti drone defense system Uh, both these products are now complete uh, we've completed the trials with the army and the air force respectively and we are looking at the procurement orders being placed with us guys for a less amount of time i think that's a decent start i would say but where do you see yourself and your company say in next one decade are you looking to specialize uh, into a particular vertical of the market or or you are willing to explore market and grow uh so there are two parts to this one is technology wise uh, big bang boom is positioned as a solutions developer so we are technology agnostic we work in ai in uh, situational awareness which is basically computer vision we work in rf technologies we also do uh, pure software or pure hardware uh, design nows so we are looking ourselves as being a solutions uh, company that is able to build end to end products customized to the need of the armed forces given that and given the kind of vested gestation period that is there in the defense industry we are looking at being able to serve both the indian nation and countries that are friendly to india so we already are in talks with multiple countries around the world and soon we'll be uh, positioning our products around the world uh, first choice is obviously with the country but apart from that it, as a defense company it would be impossible for us if you were to work only in one one geography no market is big enough so there will be a lot of uh, vertical growth that we are looking at now that you are talking about no sort of uh, global sort of defense uh, ecosystem 
let us uh, no talk about uh, ongoing global conflict no that they have amply demonstrated that there are no heroes in battles now it's only machines what you're seeing between uh, israel and hamas so there are rockets there are drones there are future technologies that are providing cutting edge advantage to forces at war at least that's the message you get from a distance of the battleground is that a fair assessment that there are no heroes now and there are only machines no i would say that's definitely not a, a fair assessment even in the current crisis like for example whether you take the israel hamas crisis or the ukrainian russian crisis the two things that are majorly going on there is a requirement of a lot of human intervention in the battlefields there are a lot more autonomous systems that are pre- prevalent today like we build a lot of autonomous drones for the navy but we are very very far away from it being a pure battle between machines and there being no humans involved uh, for example one of the most adv- biggest advancements of technology has been the use of fpv drones against uh, bunkers and tanks in the ukraine crisis where they have very very effectively used extremely low cost high technology drones against it but these still need to be operated by a person and without that man in the loop it's very very hard for you to be effective in battle you know what i was uh, trying to uh, sort of say was slightly different in previous wars you knew okay these are the heroes of the wars today the narrative has changed today you don't get to see any narrative around a officer be it from ukraine or for that matter in russia so in that sense i was saying that the narrative is technology dominant i agree that is quite true and that is also i think uh, that has progressively grown up uh, both from consciously from the armed forces positioning themselves as you know it's not about a single person making a decision or wars not having uh, not being fought for glory but more out of necessity fair enough so we'll get back to you know our own uh, home uh, turf so the indigenous uh, military industry ecosystem you now appears to have got on to the runway you now through atmanirbharta scheme uh, introduced by uh, this uh, present regime uh, but there is still uh, some distance to cover can you tell us about your experience of the idex scheme of the ministry of defense and what lessons new innovators and uh, no startups can take up from your conversation we as a company are very bullish on idex we really look at it as a very progressive scheme uh, idex uh, just to give you a brief introduction idex is a uh, innovation challenge uh, initiative where the armed forces the army navy and the air force throw out challenges or problem statements that they want individuals or companies to be able to solve multiple companies can apply for it and once uh, you know the applications are in uh, they do a screening round where they shortlist a number of applications and then these shortlisted applications are called on for a presentation in front of a high powered uh, steering committee now the hpsc as they call it now that will then shortlist or it will select one or two startups to work on the problem statement and once you are shortlisted under this initiative that means you have gone through rigorous evaluation of your technological capability the design that you are proposing the wherewithal or the financial ability for you to take the project through and overall what your background and what your capabilities are once you have done this the scheme actually opens you up to a lot of opportunities like one of the biggest things obviously is the grant that people talk about a lot but apart from the grant idex also gives you a very good interface to work with the armed forces on 
And that I think is a very, very key, key aspect to it. There is a nodal officer who stacked to every project who provides uh, regular updates, regular feedback on how the product is being built, etc. So that at the end of the day, what you're building is something that's required by the armed forces and not something that has come out of your own imagination. This sort of a close collaboration between the startups or the individual innovators and the armed forces did never existed before uh, IDEX. There have been other schemes like TDF, AR and DB, etc. that have tried to do innovation in the defense ecosystem, but they've always lacked this end user engagement where the end user is actually involved in the design and the development of the product. The other advantage is that the during the entire phase of development, IDEX also provides us with, you know, the infrastructure facilities. Like, for example, if we build a drone, we will use the nearby army ranges to test them. And that itself becomes a big advantage because you need access to these kind of infrastructure to be able to do the kind of design and the product development that you are intending to do. So working with the armed forces on developing it, access to the military infrastructure and information that's coming in from the armed forces are two major advantages of the IEXP. The last, obviously, is that the current DAP has a new procurement policy via IDEX, where companies that are shortlisted through IDEX, the uh, armed forces can go ahead and procure from them directly. That actually gives a shot in the arm for the developer who has spent, let's say, two, three years time and crores of rupees to develop a product, where he can end up with the order rather than just being an R&D project. We'll get on to the challenges and procurement issues later. But uh, will it be a tricky question if I ask you, sort of uh, tell us, uh, no, your experience with uh, the three tri services, whom do you feel uh, are business friendly? Whether is it Army, is it Navy, is it Air Force? I'll try and be as candid as possible. The good part is Big Bang Boom works with Army, Navy and the Air Force. So we have fairly good experience with all the three uh, services. The fact remains that all the three services are actually putting in a lot of effort into this entire engagement with startups and trying to become more friendly with the private industry. Uh, this can be seen that there is a lot of top-down push and a lot of emphasis on being open and uh, aggressive about it. Of the lot, currently, I think Navy is very, very proactive, while Army and the Air Force are supportive. The Army was proactive till like a couple of years back. Uh, they have slowed down probably because of their size and other constraints that are there. But then, frankly, all of them are putting in effort. So would you like to talk about your startup engagement with defense PSUs? And if at all, you are uh, no, also in conversation with private uh, sector. The private sector, the big private players that are there in the industry actually are quite uh, quite aggressive, quite proactive in terms of engaging with uh, smaller companies. There are multiple ways in which they do it. One of the ways is that we apply for joint tenders together, where we look at uh, a component or a system being provided by us, which is integrated by the bigger player into a system that's required by the armed forces. Um, this is a very good way because this is how mostly the international people also work, where they look at smaller, deeper technology companies sort of assembling together to be able to provide a larger uh, system. The other way that we also engage with them is we look at ways in which uh, we can collaborate on development of some technology for them. That's more or less an outsourced contract that comes to us. And I think both of them are, uh, you know, quite useful. As far as the industry is there, there is still a lot of trust deficit. There's always uh, conversations on IP ownership. How do we work together with the bigger player? Uh, you know, respect the boundaries and the intellectual property of the smaller player. There are issues surrounding it and there's no clear uh, way forward yet. But I think uh, this is something that the ecosystem will have to figure out on its own as we go along. 
I think I, I was, in fact, precisely, I was coming to the, the point you know, where you were sort of talking about Lakshman Rekha. The a sense even I also get while interacting with, you know, especially private sector, they feel that there should be a tire system. As of now, what the feeling they have is that you no, know, all the big companies are running away with you no know, most of the contracts. And more than that, they feel that you no, know, even a, a contract which should be left to MSMEs and startup that is also being gobbled up by them. Do you agree to this uh, feeling? I won't disagree that that feeling is there in the industry, though I personally don't subscribe to it. I think that the industry's focus should be on being able to get the best technology, whether it's from a small or a big company. Unfair trade practices, like for example, there are uh, mechanisms that the larger companies are using to keep the smaller guys out. And that I think should be avoided. But overall, if the bigger guys are as competitive or as technologically advanced as the smaller guys, there is no reason they shouldn't get the contracts. Okay, fair enough. Uh, that's an interesting view. I heard you speaking at Navy Swavalamban seminar no, on challenges uh, faced by the startup. In fact, you are representing uh, these startups. What, if you can just list out uh, no sort of changes you would recommend for ease of doing business, both at the policy level as well as funding? Because uh, IDEX also, there are funding issues. Many startups have said it. Are the venture capitalists also hugging you more comfortably or are there still problems? I think there's a very, very big question. So I'll try and answer it one at a time. Coming to procurement policies, I think uh, it is very important to note that there has been a lot of changes over the last uh, three, four years. IDEX has a scheme itself, then Sprint that was funded or that was promoted by the Navy. And then the new changes in the DAP has actually given a lot of shot in the arm. And I think it's a very progressive scheme. Nonetheless, there's still a lot to be desired, a lot to be done. And I think we're just barely scratching the surface as far as our capabilities or what is required for the uh, system. Now, uh, one of the major challenges that we see is uh, cases where in IDEX, there are more than one startup that is participating. The current DAP has a provision for procuring from the firm that completes single-stage composite trials. The other firms can continue to develop, but on completion of trial, they'll be given a fit-for-military-use certificate. Unfortunately, there's no liability to procure from those other firms that are there. The intent behind this is that, let's say there is a case in which there are three firms participating. If one of them doesn't come up with the product, the others cannot be in an endless wait. So the provision is made so that if one guy finishes, they can go forward. This is good. But there have also been cases where for the same challenge, two firms have come up with vastly different technologies or completely uh, different products that are there. And there is a requirement for both of these kind of products. In such cases, we believe that the service headquarters should be empowered to procure from both the startups that are doing. Because currently what happens is that uh, after the first startup has built the product, the second startup basically gets no procurement out of it. This creates problem on multiple things. One, the startup, uh, the government has given a grant to the second and third firm, which development, uh, which is any, which essentially goes waste. Most times, once the first guy gets the order, the other guys drop out, thereby the money is irrevocable. Uh, the users, the Army, Navy, Air Force, they don't have a wide enough vendor base. So if there are multiple firms that are there that are viable, then there will be a competitive bidding in the future. The current policy basically creates a single vendor case. So there's only one viable vendor in the ecosystem. That yeah. makes it a problem for the user. And for the other people, so overall, if you look at it, whether it's the government, the user or the startup, it is much better if we move from this loose, loose situation to a win-win situation. 
by allowing procurement at least in limited quantities from the guys who are coming in second or the third also in the developmental exercise. The other yeah, issue yeah. that is there is uh, the concept of future procurements. See, what happens with the army is that uh, they initially have an approval to buy what is known as a minimum order quantity. So let's say they have bought 30 drones from somebody who has made a drone under the IDEX scheme. And over the uh, two years of warranty, uh, let's say due to negligence or misuse or regular use, they have lost out on three or four of the drones. It makes a lot of sense for them to be able to buy four drones to just replace the broken drones uh, rather than releasing a new tender, doing a new uh, RFP, doing a new trial and then a recruit, getting in four more drones from a different vendor. Then, you know, maintenance becomes a problem, spares become a problem, everything becomes a problem. So yeah. for this, one of the things that we were thinking is that uh, since the repeat order quantities are going to be small, it may be wise for to have IDEX startups as a separate category in gem. This can be for a limited period of, let's say, three years or five years. That makes it easier for the army to procure small quantities to replenish their supplies uh, as and when they require. Third thing that we were talking about in the Swalamban seminar is about revenue procurement. So mm -hmm. revenue procurement is cases when a consumable is being developed. Like, for example, in our case, we have developed a firefighting foam concentrate. It's a fire, it's a thing that gets utilized over a period of time. So again, the order needs to keep coming in every three months or so to replenish the quantity that is held in reserve by the armed forces. In such cases, it's better to have like a proprietary article certificate that is provided to the IDEX winners, thereby making it easier for them to be able to uh, replenish supplies as and when that's a requirement. The last uh, issue in procurement and something that I've been talking a lot about wherever I get a chance is the fact that, and this probably ties into our previous conversation on the bigger guys. One of the things that have been done is that this entire uh, uh, initiative of engaging with startups has come after startups have become a real thing in India, which has happened because of the Startup India policy that the government has uh, done. The central government under the DIPP scheme basically provides startups with a lot of concessions, uh, but most important as far as the defense industry is concerned, the two most important things are if you're a DIPP recognized startup, you get a exemption on revenue requirements uh, and you get an exemption on past performance requirements. These are two clauses that usually are put in the tender that keeps out, let's say, new vendors from coming in. So the startups are exempted under this. Now, what is distressing is to note that while this is a benefit that the government has given to the startups, the benefit has been effectively circumvented in the current tenders, there are multiple examples, literally any big tender that has recently come up, especially in uh, EP4, uh, you will notice that it asks for a credit rating requirement. Mm -hmm. Now, credit rating is basically a rating of your credit worthiness. That means you need to have taken a working capital or a term loan from a bank, service the loan, and then be qualified for a credit rating. The required credit rating for participating in the tenders uh, is pegged at triple B+. Plus. That is literally India's government's what rating you get in the international market. It is mm -hmm. impossible for a startup that doesn't have a revenue to get a credit rating of that kind. So mm -hmm. effectively, only the big companies will be able to participate in the tender. So what has happened is by how the tenders are being framed, the policy changes that the government has enacted over the last 10 years to actually give startups a fighting chance has been completely nullified. Uh, and this is something that's very, very disturbing. And hopefully the right people will take notice of it. And something will be done before it actually becomes a big issue.
तो डी यू सी डी यू सी कॉन्स्परेसी और और इज इट ऑफ लैब्सम I see if you ask me, I think I don't know whether to call it a conspiracy, but I think it's just effective lobby. See, there's mm-hmm. a smart guy who's sitting out there who knows. Okay, I can't put a hundred crore uh, revenue requirement because the startups will come with the exemption letter. But if I put a credit rating requirement, there is no exemption that's given under the policy. And for anybody to go to the central government and change a policy scheme, that's obviously going to take a lot more effort. By the time the order sub nikal jayega, so I think mm-hmm. it's just effective lobbying that's being utilized. and yeah in in a way yes it's a conspiracy to keep the startups out of the game yeah because uh, you can notice that in every tender any tender that's coming out it's asking for it but mm-hmm. that's impossible to get even mm-hmm. like for example they will say they tell you that you get a sme 04 if you are an sme but sme mm-hmm. 04 can only be given if you are a sm you have been a small or medium industry for the last 10 years and you have mm-hmm. loan most of the startups that are technology companies don't have any loan on their books so they can't get a credit rating at all or even if they get they'll get something that's you know that's not acceptable mhm we have referred to you no know, ep procurement emergency procurements no i have often wondered that if you can you know do a speedier or uh, an effective procurement under emergency procurement in a year's time why why does the army for instance any contract big contract if you take doesn't it doesn't conclude uh, before 7 to 7 uh, years or so so when the same army or for the same you know tri services they can procure a thing within a year or so and in normal process they took 7 years why why the whole thing can't be sort of smart and normal so i think the the issue is this the issue is with the processes that have been built into the uh, dap the processes that have been built into the dap uh, has a lot of checks and balances in place primarily to ensure that there is no collusion and there's no pre- preference that is being given etc also given that most of the equipment that needs to be bought are uh, equipments that would uh, determine the life and death of the soldiers on the border there are a lot of technological checks and balances also that is put in by dgqa the quality assurance agency now in emergency procurement what happens just like let's say for example when emergency is declared in a country uh, sweeping powers are given to the army navy and the air force the tri services to be able to cut short these checks and balances and go ahead and procurement on an emergency basis this is required because as you rightly said sometimes a procurement takes 5 to 7 years and you need to have preparedness on the ground today to face threats that you are facing today and you can't do an endless wait absolutely and that is the reason why the both of it have to exist in policy like you can't make everything an emergency procurement because then the checks and balances are gone and even if you know it's not being misused by everybody somebody will find a way to misuse it okay. right now what happens is they are given a very small window in which to process these cases and you know there is a lot of oversight that is provided in that small window okay. after that everybody goes back to do their routine jobs like if you want them to do that the entire year i think it will not be feasible i i'm sure there are other uh, no procurement issues we can talk, no go on and talk about it no no endless documentation there's a need to sort of know all the stakeholders to sit together and then formulate rfis and rfps all that is there uh, we'll we'll move on to a, a more important uh, aspect of uh, this whole uh, 
defense procurement issue, which is you no know, investing in R and D. And I think you you're the sort of appropriate person to answer this question. Startups are driven by innovations, but you do. But what you find is you no know, large companies are are more. Uh, are manufacturing driven rather to say that no you get a joint venture with a big company uh, probably uh, a foreign om set up a shop here and you just invest the in their investment in r and d is minuscule and you can't be, and you can't um, become a net uh, exporter unless until you innovate you have your own systems so what do you think a why the uh, no uh the big players are not investing the way they should be and what should be the way forward again here i think i have uh, two points of view one is a uh, more uh, more on the ecosystem side of things i think the bigger players don't get into it because as a ecosystem we don't have an innovation mindset we have more of a services and manufacturing mindset that basically comes from where the uh, where our strengths lie uh we have never done because innovation basically comes with uh, risk one of the things that i keep telling people is that uh, today lockheed martin is a very very big company and their f35s are very popular around the world yeah their yeah. f22s are very popular their f16s are very popular but it's very important for people to go back and understand how they started off and their first company the lockheed company the f1 that was made for the us air force did not even take off it was a project that failed funded by the military then f2 mm. was funded which took off but was very very bad then f4 was funded then f6 was funded it took them multiple generations uh, of the aircraft design and development for them to actually get a competitive fighting uh, i think the f16 f14 tomcat which was a successful uh, aircraft engine so one of the things in r&d is that you need to have the uh, willingness to fail and the ecosystem must have the willingness to accept failures in india you don't have a choice like you are given even in idex you are given a grant and you are expected the product will deliver for sure within a year and which is a very you know very unrealistic expectation so as a ecosystem we are not a innovation ecosystem that's one of the reasons the bigger companies don't engage in it because uh, everything is a challenge when ecosystem when innovation is concerned right in the right manpower access to the right technology access to the right components the supply chain everything becomes a problem but in the manufacturing game it's very easy you get the uh, ready product from outside the country you show it to the government you pick up the order now basis the order you can create your own supply chain that yeah. becomes a very different equation would you hold uh, drd also accountable for this sarkari attitude towards innovation absolutely i think drd has done a terrible job for the kind of resources that it has has it been one of the best organizations in the country yes have they done a lot of innovative products yes but for the amount of money that they have had access to they should have been far far more the problem with drdo and this is something that again has been opened up in a lot of forums and now there is a review committee that's been formed to see yeah. what is drdo's role in the indian defense yeah. ecosystem is right. that drdo should have been more like a darpa more like a agency that does funding that defines what technology aspirations the country has and what is the best way to reach it instead of it drdo has become like a behemoth that that does everything from basic r&d to product development to technology transfer to quality control like they are the guys who do quality control yeah and they are doing quality control for both their products and their competitors products so it is it's sometimes it's like the conflict of interest is really silly when you think about yeah. it 
and yeah. because they have become such a big behemoth it's impossible for them to like do any sprints like they are not agile at all like you ask them for a development or a technology they will take years about it not mm. because they are the scientists are slow they are probably mm. have the best scientists in this thing but then their administrative processes are so ridiculous yeah yeah so that's why they are ridiculous because that's the only way you can run such a big organization so there is a mm. need for you to split it up and have mm. small effective units that are actually mm. able to produce tangible outputs Mm-hmm. anyway mm-hmm. so coming back to the previous question uh the second part of it uh, the thing what i look at uh from a little more let's say forgiving uh point of view is that the bigger companies the reason they prefer the manufacturing game is that they are playing to their strengths right like just like smaller companies who don't have money focus on bootstrapping and developing a core product that is unique the bigger companies that have money they realize that what they are good at is being able to run the sales engine right mm-hmm. and yeah. they play to their strengths so they recruit a lot of marketing and sales guys so if you go to a startup like mine we have around 50 people and we'll have around three or four sales guys but you go mm-hmm. to a company like let's say i don't know any of the big guys their sales teams will out outnumber their technical team by anything any number mm-hmm. yeah the reason they do that is that they realize that if they get the order they'll be able to do the rest of it and their strength is their ability to use their large uh, uh, size to be able to attract a government order so they are playing to their strengths and frankly there is nothing to blame them for it as i told you they are actually an essential part of the ecosystem they are essential because they have the ability to integrate let's say multiple startups technologies into an integrated system and i think if they were to be able to recognize that and not compete with the startups and actually become a facilitator it will be a win win for both the parties involved let me uh, no get on to a one final question because of possible paucity of time and uh, we wind up and perhaps look for another opportunity to talk another day do you talk. think uh, uh, yeah there is a need for inter interministerial cooperation for quicker and efficient uh, no functioning uh, absolutely i really think this is something that's very very necessary uh, especially uh, cooperation between ministry of external affairs the defense ministry and ministry of uh, uh you know the dgft i think right. that comes also under corporate of corporate affairs yeah correct uh primarily on three three major reasons one uh the ecosystem is being developed in india there are a lot of products that are coming out these products need to be positioned around the world for us to be able to actually increase the defense exports as a country we need to look at both increasing exports and reducing imports so that the defense deficit gets normalized rather than saying that you know we will uh, have a closed economy where only indians can participate you should have an open environment open economy where our exports match with our imports or exceed our imports right that's when value is being created in india uh for that we the ministry of defense needs to work very closely with the ministry of external affairs and have these defense attaches which are already there in every embassy around the world the defense attache should also be trained on sales and how is it that you position you know the indian companies they should have awareness of what indian companies what technologies are aware available in india and be able to sort of front end uh, by matching the requirements of the country that they are based in with technology that's available in india literally do what the us government does or the uh, european uh, union does where it sort of understands that india requires a fifth generation aircraft and then there the defense attaches etc actually work with the government on you know positioning their respective products for the country 
So that becomes one important part of it. The second important part is basically customs clearance. This is basically where DGFT comes out. Currently, uh, to under PMLA and a number of other uh, balances, it's very hard to move money out of the country and also get goods in. And especially in defense, a lot of these goods have not been part of any of the customs repository. So one of the ways in which the government must facilitate is the defense ministry must work with uh, customs and ensure that if there is an import that's being done for defense purposes with a valid end user certificate or something, then there must be a very quick clearance mechanism because a lot of times we have the entire system ready. There's one component that's stuck in custom that takes three months, four months to clear and yeah. frankly, it's a loss to both the startup or the uh, company and to the uh, country. So these two facilitations are very, very important. I'm sure there are other ways to work with. But these two, I think, will have a material impact in how this ecosystem grows. Thanks uh, so much for coming to our podcast and giving such a sharp insight into the uh, defense uh, startup world and the procurement policy. Thank you uh, so much. And we hope to you, talking to you sometime later. Sure, sure. Thank you.